Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm going to do a quick shout out for Rails Remote Conf. We've got DHH coming to answer some questions. Probably going to rope some of these guys in, so go check it out. TopEndDevs.com. Click conferences. You'll find it. This week, we have on our panel John Epperson. Hello, everybody. We also have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Luke Stutters. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and this week, we're going to be talking about different ways of getting work done remotely. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Dave, you're the one that suggested this topic. Do you want to kind of give us some background on what you're trying to solve or what brought yeah, this about? Sure. And so when we talk about developing remotely, we do not mean being a remote developer. Specifically, what we're talking about is you have your normal place where you do your development. And we're talking about removing you from the comfort of that ecosystem and putting you somewhere else. And so this usually happens to me. I am fully remote, but I work at home. I have a new monitor that I've fallen in love with. It's a 5K, 2K. So it's a ultra wide 4K monitor. And it's really nice. And I feel very productive when I'm on it. However, when I am not here, not at this computer, and I am traveling for vacation or work or whatever, it's very easy for me to feel like my productivity takes a huge hit when I am focusing on doing development. And so there's a lot of ways that you can kind of do your remote development. And I think that if your way is you have a laptop, that's the only computer you use. You use the built-in screen, no external monitors or anything like that. Then this conversation is pretty much over. But if you do have a more stationary setup and you are then leaving that stationary setup, you might have a docked laptop or you might have a Mac Mini, Mac Studio, or a different desktop computer that's not really mobilized. Then that Then you get into this conversation of what's going to make me most efficient when I'm not at home or I'm not at my normal ecosystem or workstation. Gotcha. So I'm curious, have, have you solved this problem? Or are you looking for input or? So I think I have a good solution for now that we can dive into. But uh -huh. just as an example, at the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, my family and I, we went to the beach. We got a beach house. It was secluded, so there was no one else around. So it was nice. But at the time, I didn't have a computer that I was able to travel with. I only had the work-issued computer, but I'm not going to take that on vacation. But mm -hmm. I did have an iPad Pro. 
and I also had a Raspberry Pi. And I was able to connect the two to get a Ruby interpreter locally on that com- uh, on that iPad through the Raspberry Pi. I had a keyboard and I was kind of doing development like that. But ultimately, what I found was it was not productive. Could I technically do it? Yes, I could, but it was not productive at all. And so this year, I have a bit different of a mechanism that I'm going to try where this, because I'm going to the beach again soon in a few months, what I'm going to do this time is take a crappier computer. It's not the best computer in the world. I don't want to take something expensive traveling with me to the beach. However, we will have wireless internet there or I could just tether to my phone. And at home, I've set up a VPN. So I'm able Mm -hmm. to then tunnel all of the traffic from my remote location through my home network. And using Visual Studio Code and the remote SSH extension, I'm going to be able to have access to all of the resources and power of my desktop at home remotely as I'm doing the development. And so that's going to be a different transition from what I'm normally used to, but I think that it will help. And to kind of help with that screen real estate issue, I do have a... A portable monitor is a small 17-inch Asus, and it's bus-powered. So it delivers the signal and gets power delivery over USB-C. And so that's going to act as a extension for my laptop. So I would have that set up off to the side, and it would basically be like a dual monitor setup with as few of cords as possible. Now, I still have the iPad, which if I'm taking a uh, Apple laptop, then I'm going to be able to do the whatever they call it, the sidecar, which extends the display over to the iPad as well. So I would effectively have a triple monitor setup, which would give me the screen real estate that I would normally be accustomed to, but then also have all of the remote power from my normal desktop with me at vacation without actually taking the hardware with me. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't I haven't used the Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code remote SSH setup, but oh man, you're you know, missing I, out. That's fantastic. <laughs> I've played with some of the, I can't remember what it's called, but they have some other remote deal where you can it's not screen sharing per se, but you you, know, you can edit code and run commands on the remote machine if you're pairing and things like that. And I've played with that a little bit. And and that's that's another option that I've seen that, that could work. Yeah, remote SSH, that extension within VS Code has completely changed how I develop on a daily basis. Because I do have a few computers, but I don't want to constantly be swapping out one computer for another on my main workstation. So instead, I have the work-issued computer that I normally work on. It's in clamshell mode hanging on the wall. And I use the remote SSH from my main workstation to basically access all of the code on there. And the nice thing by doing that is I don't need to open up any liabilities from the company with having their code on my personal machines. It doesn't touch my machine at all. It all happens uh, over a secure tunnel via SSH. Right. I have a work-issued machine. That that sounds kind of nice. I'm one of those people that works 100% of the time on my laptop, but uh, I don't I don't know that I would say that the issue is necessarily solved. I find that when I'm away from home, like I don't have my comfy chair 
And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have, I don't have the same level of like other comfort access, right? That like, you know, I've set up my home office. So, so I do work remote hundred percent of the time, right? But my home office has the things that I like, right? And the things that, that I think make me productive. And I do not have those when I'm on the road, right? Is a disturbance to my my atmosphere. And so I I think that even for people that that do the laptop 100% of the time, right, and nothing else, I still think that you end up with some of that stuff. Some of it's time. I mean, I'm here at RailsConf right now, and I'm across the US because I'm normally Eastern time and now I'm Pacific. So my clients are emailing me at five, six in the morning. I get up at seven or eight, take a look at that stuff. But then like, uh, sometimes I email them back depending on the content, right? And sometimes I have to like wait a couple hours before I ping them. And by the time that, you know, that a response cycle happens, and then I finally like do something about something later in the day, their business day is over, right? So things are very delayed. That's a thing that can happen too. Yeah. And sometimes your internet sucks, or sometimes you're sitting in an airport and you just are tired or Mm-hmm. Or like, there's so many other things that can go wrong because it's not your hop, you know, it's not your office, it's not your setup. So yeah, I mean, there's always discomforts there too, even for the yeah. Laptop. One thing that one thing that I've gotten away with a little bit with that is that the backpack that I carry around, I have kind of a portable screen that that'll fit in there with it, and so just gaining back some of that screen real estate a lot of times helps. But I haven't found like you're saying, for example, the the chair issue is just going to be wherever you're at because you, at least I haven't found, I can't think of a feasible way to travel with the chair. But some of the other things like some of the portable desk setups and things like that where you can put something on your lap or, you know, you have something that unfolds and kind of sits on the chair around your hips. I haven't found any of those that I particularly care for. And so, yeah, just, just being comfortable while you're working and things like that make a big difference. One one thing that I have found, though, is that, and I haven't used it for a while, I used to be traveling a whole bunch, and I got one of the AT&T portable hotspots, and it was typically fast enough for me to, to work on. It wasn't always ideal if I had to, like, watch a video or something. So if I wanted to watch a video walkthrough or something else, right, that, that wasn't always ideal. That really did depend on the kind of connection I had. But I almost always had a good enough connection to install gems and push and pull data from the internet, stuff like that. You know, if I had to download a data file or something else, it usually worked pretty well. So as far as just working off of a laptop and making that run, that works pretty well. One other thing I did for quite a long time was I had a virtual server set up on DigitalOcean and I, I just had Tmux and Emacs installed on it. And so that was my primary work machine all the time. And so I would just, I just opened up port 3000, you know, open up the database port, which is 5432, I think by default on Postgres, right? And so then I could use all of my tools from here to, to fiddle with stuff. And I just had to have the IP address for my, or I set up a DNS so that I could just SSH into it. But, you know, then it was just, okay, just SSH in, connect my TMUX session, pick up where I left off. And that all seemed to work pretty well. I haven't ever set up a home VPN and I haven't really felt the need to, but I could see that that would be pretty handy, especially if I wanted to connect to like, yeah, when I'm traveling, I'm, I have no intention of taking the laptop for my client. They actually provided one, but I have no intention of taking that with me because I don't want to be liable for it. And 
the odds of me having to use it while I'm gone are pretty minuscule, but it seems pretty nice. The other thing is, is you can also install like a, a, what is it, VNC client or some of the other remote desktop programs and be able to actually remote in and actually see the screen if you have to. So there are options that way as well. And I've made some of those work for a laptop that's, you know, sitting folded up and under my desk or whatever when I didn't want to pull it out. So you do have some of those options as well. And I could also see using something like the remote access pairing tools for Visual Studio Code if you had some form of, you just leave the server running on the one end and connect to the session on the other end. As long as you don't have to have somebody on the other end, click OK. Yeah, and just a side note, with the remote SSH extension within VS Code, it does also do port forwarding. So if you launch the Rails server, then it'll automatically create a local SSH tunnel to that port. Oh, so nice. you can access localhost port 3000 on your remote computer, and it's going to then tunnel it over to that remote development machines port 3000 so you can access the browser using your native one you don't have to do a vnc session or anything like that yep i've also used systems like log me in or team viewer and those kind of they're kind of set up for the layperson who's not going to go set up a vpn right yeah they give you some other way of connecting to your account and then getting remote access to the computer I don't remember all of the pricing and licensing deals. I'm pretty sure TeamViewer, if you're using it for business or for work, you need a business license. And I don't recall them being very cheap. I have not looked at the pricing for a while. I know it's free for personal use, though. So if you can think about it from personal use angle and you feel comfortable with that, then I could see that working. So I'm going to say that TeamViewer is an anti-pick because I use that to help remote uh, support my parents' computer. Mm-hmm. You know, they're older. They always need computer help. However, every now and then, Team Viewer would just say, it looks like you're using this for business purposes. And it would kill the connection. Oh, man. 15 minutes to connect back to their computer. And that was a pain. So after that happened to me a few times, I'm like, you know what, Team Viewer, we're not buddies anymore. Yeah, the one I always used for my grandparents and my parents was uh, log me in. But I I was using it so infrequently that I don't I don't know if they have that same safeguard on there because yeah it's only when you know my mom calls me up and goes hey this this isn't doing what I want and so it's like once every handful of months I would I could see if you're using desk. it all the time yeah I moved to any desk and I can vouch for that versus other systems I have so kind of it sort of on a bit of an opposite end of the scale like while i absolutely every time i'm traveling i always vpn to my home network for all my internet traffic i have always been very sensitive to uh like so if y'all have experienced cloud nine which i think is like the you know Mm -hmm. way to get like you know an amazon aws or or like basically aws is creating your dev environment for you more or less right and you're just yeah remoted in i've always been very sensitive to like typing and having any sort of lag which is like one of the reasons like i could never use adam like it was just too laggy for me and and, like you made all the adam people cry 
Yeah, I'm sorry. It's fine if you love Adam. I'm not going to judge you. I just, I've never <laughs> been able to deal with that. It's just always bothered me way too much. And so I, I've never really been able to do like, I get it if I, like, I'm logged into a server and I can like tolerate like a Tmux session in, in a server, right? But, but I could not do that on a daily basis. And I've never been able to do like remotely developing on a machine at home, which mm-hmm. is part of the reason why when my buddy convinced me to you know, just take my laptop everywhere. Like that's part of the reason that I bought into that. But I mean, yeah, for, so for me, like, I mean, I am like the person like Dave said, like I, I just code 100% on the time on my laptop. That way, when I go on a trip, or I'm in a coffee shop or something like that, like I literally am using virtually the same environment, obviously, I don't have my chair, things like that. But at least from a technical perspective, I have the same stuff. And, and that's kind of how I get around those pieces. But as far as like being comfortable and things like that, yeah, I mean, the chair thing sucks. The wearing comfy clothes, like is very important, actually like making sure that even if you need to have like suits and ties and stuff like that you're like all right i'm back in my hotel working i'm gonna put comfy clothes on because that's what i do at home and that helps me to work you know things like that right making sure that you actually shave uh things that you would do at home right like sort of doing your same routines is also actually kind of important all of that stuff i think kind of helps to make up for some of the detractive things that i was talking about earlier having some ritual i guess and you see, John, you have mitigated some of those issues by carrying the laptop. I've mitigated the shaving issue by not having to shave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, just look. Asian descent. I really don't really grow facial hair. <laughs> so, so. I will say that I I highly recommend to people. Like I really do love straight razor shaving. I think it's awesome. Like I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you get this straight razor that looks like it's a knife that's going to kill you, right? Um, but it's actually, I mean, you know, just watch a YouTube video. Like, it's actually a lot safer than it looks. Don't give it to your kids, though. But yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's oh, pretty awesome. Man. Just saying. Yeah, it, John Epperson and Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, don't watch Sweeney Todd before you go to a barber. <laughs> And eat at the the meat pie shop before you see it. Anyway, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. To be perfectly honest, I mean, that's one of the big issues that I have when I travel is that, you know, I'll wind up putting pillows all around to try and get a comfortable place to work sitting on the bed or, you know, I'll try and make it work at whatever desk or chair set up. But yeah, it's it's rough. So yeah, I mean, anything else that I can kind of create heads, headspace with works. I, I kind of want to go back. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I have a I have a secret that I'm willing to reveal. So you you may see me on travel with my suit bag, right? And I, I probably have my suit in there. But I also have my pillow in there. I just don't want to be judged by people for like carrying around my people my pillow so i just stuff it into my suit bag too and uh uh-huh. taking like your pillow from home like totally worth in my opinion i'm just saying oh, i agree i take yeah. my pillow with me everywhere i go and a blanket so it's just one of those things where i've become accustomed to a certain kind of pillow and it is the cheapest crappiest pillow ever you know you could probably find it at walmart for three dollars or something but it's so flat but it's yours and that's just what i like i like the really flat crappy pillow oh, and man. when i go to a hotel they're all puffy and huge i can't sleep with those so i always take my pillow with me traveling that's so funny because you're talking about it being all fluffy and huge at the hotel, and they're not firm enough for me at the hotel. 
Yep, <laughs> that's why I mine. take mine. <laughs> I have a latex pillow, which I've had for like 10 years. And like, it's like, it's pretty hard compared to most pillows. Yeah, mine is a my pillow brand. And it's the only pillow I found that actually works for me. And I have to get the firmest is the firmest one that they make. So anyway, am I doing um, doesn't use pillows to develop software? What are you talking about? Why are pillows needed to develop software? What are you doing? With <laughs> no, you because just need them to sleep. sleep. And comfort is important. If you're going to develop software on the road where everything's like just messy and then having some amount of ritual so that you're in the right mind space is, is really all I was really getting at. Right. And there are things uh, that you can do to get there. Yeah. I've got a more practice. I, I kind of than the pillow and a blankie and that's a really good set of noise cancelling headphones because one of the problems in developing yeah, that helps is you have too. less control over your environment so I got was it these um these you've got a really good ones Dave but I've got the kind of next one down the AirPods the AirPod Pros and they are really much much better noise cancelling headphones than I had and if you turn it on you can just blank stuff out and if there's like construction going on near where you are it makes a huge difference good suggestion uh, yeah next time Luke's travelling I'm just going to Get out my jackhammer and go find him. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I'm I'm a little curious, Dave, you know, you talked about being able to VPN into your home network. Do you have that set up? You said you have a Raspberry Pi. So do you just have a port that's forwarded through to the Raspberry Pi that your VPN client can connect to? Or do you do that through your router? Or how does that work? Because I know some routers have those built into. Yes. So my home network is your typical, overly complicated way more enterprise than it needs to be. I actually run a Dell R610 that I have PFSense installed on. So, I mean, it's like full enterprise-grade junk, but it is using the OpenVPN protocol for the VPN service, which you can do with a Raspberry Pi. And just like you said, you would just do the port forwarding that you would need to the Raspberry Pi and install the VPN software on there. And typically, depending on how you do it, it's going to do a couple of things. Tunnel all of your traffic over the VPN to your home network. Then your home network makes the request out to the internet for whatever service. And then also give you access to the local devices on your home network, wherever that VPN is. And I think both of those are really important. So if you're doing the remote development, then having the access to your local devices on your home network is going to be critical if that's where you have your stuff set up. But then also the security aspect of tunneling all of your traffic because it will be encrypted is also equally important because if I'm traveling at a coffee shop or if I am 
at a hotel's Wi-Fi or if I am at a beach house or something, I'm not going to trust that they have locked down and secured their network from prying eyes. I don't want to potentially risk having something leak out over their Wi-Fi network that is sensitive in nature, whether I'm doing banking, development, or whatever the case. So very true. I am confident mm-hmm. that my home network is secured and it is up to my, you know, quote, specifications. And so tunneling all my traffic, regardless of what I'm doing over the VPN to my home network to then go out to the internet, I think is a very important part of being remote. I'm going to say the opposite. I, um, I got a VPN set up, which we're using for work and loaded my remote devices. And I deliberately don't tunnel all the traffic over the network. I only tunnel traffic to specific devices. And that's because often, if I want to reach out to a device on that network, then I don't want to send all my traffic because that device doesn't itself have a really good connection. It's not as good as my kind of home or office connection. So I, I don't tunnel the traffic but you can do both and i'm going to put a link into my super easy um, script i found on github for setting up a vpn and that works really well if you've got like kind of a load of stuff you need to get on the same network that is a really easy way of doing it i'm curious with the vpns running through uh home and i've used some commercial vpns as well and they tend to slow down your connection a little bit do you feel that most of the time or yes it really depends on the situation so If you are doing encryption over the VPN, which most likely you are, does the CPU where you have the VPN installed have uh, hardware decryption? Can it do hardware ciphers? Or is it all software-based? If it's software-based, then it's going to take a lot more CPU usage. Then also, what kind of bandwidth are you looking at? Because if you are at home on a cable network and you have 50 megabits per second download, and five megabits per second upload, you kind of have to reverse that when you are remote because your upload speed is what you're going to be downloading at. So you're only going to be able to download at five megabits per second, but then you're going to upload at 50 megabits per second max. And so uh, realistically, if you're at a remote place that has that same internet connection speed, then your effective rate is only going to be 5 megabits per second download and 5 megabits per second upload. And it's usually a shared pipe. So you would effectively be able to do both simultaneously at 2.5 megabits per second. Whereas my home network, I'm lucky enough to have gigabit down and gigabit up and they're separate pipes, or at least I believe they're second separate pipes. I haven't really tested it. But even then, 500 megabits per second download and upload, wherever I'm at remotely, it's not going to match that. So I do have hardware, hardware encryption, so I'm able to take advantage of that at the CPU level. And I have a big enough pipe that's going to be bigger than wherever I'm at remotely. That was a really good explanation. You know, as somebody with like probably... I, I, I guess I feel like it's typical, but, you know, maybe maybe not for everybody, but like, you know, I have Spectrum. They're worth complaining over, maybe not as much as Comcast or things like that, right? And I, I totally am in the boat that Dave is talking about. So, yeah, you do feel it. If, you're, if you don't have that gigabit connection, you're going to feel it. And if you want to set up like a home VPN network, you're going to need something beefy to... Not necessarily beefy, but newer in order to have those encryption chipsets on the side. 
I've got to add that um, a lot of the time I'm VPNing into a door, like an access control system or a like mm-hmm. a weather station in a field. So my VPN usage is not representative. And I reckon, Dave, you're right. You know, these days, 99% of the time, you can just throw all your traffic through the VPN. And if you've got a good provider, it's going to work really well. I'm just tempted to get on the VPN and make the Echo say weird stuff to my kids. But I might be able <laughs> to do that just through Amazon. You know, I've actually done that. Uh, we have the home pods in our house. And so you can do a announcement and it'll announce everywhere in the home pods or you can specify a yeah. specific room. And I was coming back from micro center with one of my kids and I was bringing home dinner. And we have this rule in our house where one kid each month has to set the table for dinner. And they know that if we're not at home, then we can't use a home pod to announce out like, hey, come set the table. And so I connected to the VPN for my phone and then did the announcement and they were like oh my gosh dad's already home i was still like 20 minutes out oh yeah i have a i have a similar suggestion and that is the and i know i know i'm gonna get shouted down here because they do kind of suck but the ring doorbell cameras from amazon and i got one and it wasn't great and you have to like pay every month for it. And I, I fell out, out of love with it very, very soon. And it's supposed to go for the Echo, and it just didn't work. But this week, I'm working remotely, and my mother had a very serious problem with her leg, so she can't really move. And I was able to kind of answer the door to let my colleague in to grab some equipment. She didn't really kind of have to come downstairs. Or, you know, it gave her a lot of time to kind of move. So I I would recommend remote doorbell cameras if you are working away. They 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 really work. And while we're kind of on the subject of VPN, one thing that you may want to look into, and this is just more of a general suggestion, is that you can also run a squid proxy. And a squid proxy will do caching of information that you are downloading and stuff from the web. So it can give you the apparent speed is much faster than it actually is, especially if there's a lot of CDN assets or stuff that you've already downloaded from the internet before, then you don't have to re-download those. And instead, it would just transfer over directly from your home network to your remote location instead of having to do an extra bounce. And that's going to be important, especially if you have a slower internet connection at home. So you could actually make your apparent speed a lot faster than it actually is. And you are able to even do the squid proxying over SSL, where you are basically setting up kind of a man-in-the-middle attack for yourself, where your SSL termination is actually happening at the squid proxy. And then that's making the connection out to the proper location with the proper certificate. So you would have to trust that your setup is legitimate because it is a spooked SSL cert. But once you verify and trust that certificate, then it should work like normal non-SSL traffic. Oh, man, you've just given me serious nostalgia, Dave. Uh, we used to run a squid proxy at my high school back in the 90s when we had dial-up internet in the library. And I'm <laughs> tripping back here. Just just out of curiosity, how do you have your squid, your squid proxy set up? So I personally do not run a squid proxy anymore. I used to a few years ago when I did have cable internet before we got gigabit. And once we got gigabit, I'm like, we don't need this anymore. Right. Because our internet is actually that fast now. 
Yeah, the city I live in, they're having some pretty serious talks about putting in fiber and providing gigabit internet. But in the meantime, I'm just suffering through whatever I get out of Comcast. And I guess that's another concern that I have is that if I go over my bandwidth cap with Comcast, they start bugging me and wanting me to pay extra for it and stuff. Yeah, I'm lucky enough that AT&T's gigabit data plan does not have data caps. They initially rolled it out with them, but they quickly got rid of them. But even then, I think my average usage is maybe two to three terabytes a month. Yeah, yeah. The I, I would usually run afoul of it when I was uploading and downloading videos and audio for the podcasts and stuff like that. So yeah, I feel like the data caps hit hit like content producers more than they hit abusers of the internet. Yeah, quote unquote. Abusers, I'm just because I don't know that I consider anyone really an abuser. Yeah, well, I think you have, uh, if you're pushing if you're pushing all your traffic over the VPN, I could see that adding up. Or I mean, if you just have security cameras at home that upload to like a Google Nest or something. Oh yeah, you're gonna just eat through your bandwidth. Yep, that makes sense. Yep, because video. Yep. So I will recommend bringing your keyboard with you if you're going to be remote working. Now, if you're like John and myself and you just type on a laptop all day, then you've already brought your keyboard, right? But if you've got a a kind of really nice home setup and you've got used to that particular keyboard, I find I take a kind of huge productivity hit for about a week and a half until I've dialed into that new keyboard. I actually have yeah. Yeah. I have a spare so, keyboard that is the exact duplicate of my home keyboard that I that I travel. For me, I do ergonomic keyboards at home and it's a Logi, uh, Logitech the Ergo K860. So it's a fixed ergonomic keyboard and I love it. You know, I've been using it for a few years. I actually even bought an extra one just to have as a spare in case of this one died and they discontinued them because I want to keep this keyboard. But when I'm traveling, that is a problem. So I do have one of the Apple keyboards that I've actually switched to for a few weeks or that I will switch to for a few weeks before I go on vacation, just so I am getting that familiarity with the non-ergonomic style. Yeah, I have one of the wave-shaped keyboards that I use at home. And I, yeah, now that you mentioned it, I wonder if that's part of what I miss when I travel because I typically don't take it with me. But there's no reason why I couldn't just flip the switch to off and then go, right? Just throw it in my bag. Speaking of bags, what kind of what kind of bag do you have for your laptop or for, you know, whatever other machine you're taking with you? The cheapest bag that I got free at a conference. <laughs> I, I swear that's Dave's answer to everything. I've got a Raspberry Pi I run my VPN on because, you know, I don't want to spend money on my stuff. Kids are expensive, yo. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, I have one or five yeah. of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that you know. <laughs> I just traveled the world around the world with a $4,000 laptop in like a $4 bag. And I did feel quite guilty when the guy next to me was ramming an enormous suitcase into the overhead bin and thinking, oh, man, that could have been expensive. <laughs> so I I had a kind of like a... Uh, what do you call them? Those those bags that you just carry your laptop in on your side, whatever. Just laptop bag, like the messenger kind. bags. Yeah, there we go. Like a messenger bag kind of thing, like a long time ago. And then, like, it just hurt my shoulder a lot at some point. And then, uh, you know, I I told myself that when I went, you know, full time with my consulting firm, I would buy myself a backpack. And so the first time that I did, like a while back, I did. I bought myself a backpack, and I've never looked back. I like it. Yeah, so I was kind of in the same boat. And I have a really nice leather messenger bag that 
I mean, it's a it's a really good size one, and it'll hold a ton of a ton of stuff. But I started having neck and shoulder pain if I was at a conference, uh, and e- even if it was just carrying it from one session to the next and sitting in the next session. By the end of the day, I was getting headaches and stuff from it. And so I went to CES a few years ago, and company wanted me to try out their bag, and it's a mobile edge bag. It's a backpack. And it is really, really, really nice. And it's got all kinds of pockets in it. It also has a, a a place where you can hook a battery inside it. So you just, you know, you plug the USB into the into the USB cord that's in there into the battery. And then it has a USB port on the outside. And so then you can plug your, your phone or whatever into that. And that's pretty handy. Yeah, that sounds but, good. But it has it has pockets for for your uh, tablet and for your laptop and everything else. It's it's really really dang nice. But I think a year or two ago, like part of the top of it ripped, but it still works. <laughs> and I'm I'm cheap like Dave. <laughs> I haven't have replaced tried, it. Yet. Have you tried updating the firmware of your backpack? Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to iron a patch onto it. I will say that um, mine is that Swiss brand or whatever or whatever. Uh-huh. Thank you. I don't know if I'm sure people have seen them around, but or whatever. It's been pretty durable, so I will say that much about yeah. it. But the other thing that a backpack gives you, so as somebody, so I have like horrible allergies, and so I basically I get any time that like it's going to rain that day or that it's overcast or something, right? Like anytime the pressure changes, I will have like a sinus headache, which means that. I have to have like Sudafed and ibuprofen around like to basically like manage that. So like I have medicines in my bag, both my daily stuff and my emergency stuff. Like, so that's helpful. I have Kleenex. It, like I have all the extra accoutrements or, and things that you've got to have in order to survive. And a backpack also helps you hang on to all of that. I feel like gives you some extra pockets for that. Gives me a pocket for the stickers because I'm always trying to get people ship lane stickers and mm-hmm. uh, all the other extra things they like you're carrying around. So. Yeah, I do like all the pockets and things. Yeah, I think that's the upside as opposed to the messenger bags. Though I have had messenger bags that had a nice number of smaller pockets that were kind of set up for cords and business cards and stickers and what have you. So it really just depends. What I found is that if you go with the cheapest one, like it'll hold everything. But what you wind up with is kind of this melange of office supplies and other stuff at the bottom of your bag. And so if you shop it just a little bit and you're willing to spend an extra 20 or 30 bucks or in it right on top of the 20 or 30 bucks you'll spend on just a regular backpack, you can usually find something that'll work exceptionally well for you. And your stickers won't get bent. Yeah, I need to get more stickers. Anyway, coming back to portable monitors, one thing I have done is to use my phone as a second monitor, like when I'm doing web development, and then I kind of put mm-hmm. the site I'm doing on my phone if you turned it sideways. And yeah, usually it's not great, but now you can buy these kind of $12 uh, phone stands that keep the phone at an angle. And that makes it kind of a useful thing. It's not as good as having an iPad, but if you're stuck, then a phone stand running a site, refreshing as you code, is a big productivity boost. Yeah, I've done that. There's also a program for the iPad that you can use that you run it and it'll run it as a second monitor. Yeah. Sidecar the, is the sidecar. I think. Yeah. yeah. I think that the issue that I've had with that, though, is that the at least my iPad, the aspect ratio for it or not the aspect ratio, but the pixel density and then the aspect ratio makes it so that it it's not nearly as high end as like a full-on monitor. 
So, you, you know, it, it's a little bit grainy or it's not, it doesn't give you as high quality an image as some of the other options. So I think uh, another thing to like watch out for is, I mean, I think we're all aware of this, but you do have to be careful how many things you bring because the more stuff you bring, the more stuff you have to carry from into the airport yep. and then you got to pick it up from luggage and, you know so you're always having to carry more stuff the more comforts you bring so you do kind of have to like experiment a little and find like what the happy medium is for you like i know that i couldn't bring like an an extra screen right like that just doesn't work for me i already have too many things right in sort of my kit but clearly it's working for chuck or whatever so you know you got to decide what what's the right mixture of comforts to you know how much stuff you have to carry for you yeah that's true i have taken a full-on like what 19 inch monitor like not a big one but i've put it in my my uh suitcase because i tend to pack pretty light on clothes and other stuff and so i i have i i have had room in the past to stick one in yeah one year I was traveling and I had a Ruby Rogues podcast that we were recording. I don't even think you guys knew I was remote at the time. And so I had taken the Rode Podcaster. That's like my travel microphone Mm -hmm. because it's USB. I don't have to bring a whole mixer or anything like that. And so I had that and then this cast iron heavy stand with a arm support so I could just mount it on there. And so I took that with me onto the airplane and every time it that bag went through the TSA checks, they always wanted to open up my luggage, see what this big metal thing was. I had to explain what it was, why I'm using it, why I'm bringing it, and all that stuff. So keep that in mind, too, that if you take something that's not obviously, you know, just for your computer-related stuff, they may see it as something suspicious. Yeah, yep. I've I've run into that too with the especially with the bigger mics. So the the road podcasters a little bit bigger around and yeah, they they like to pull those out and look at them. I've traveled with a bunch of the Shure SM58 mics. They're XLR mics. They're not USB mics. So you can get a USB or an XLR to USB that will work for like 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah, anyway, yeah, they always want to look at those bigger around mics. If you're if, if it's obviously a microphone in your bag, then they're they're not so keen to pull it out. So, I've had the same problem with large large battery packs. So, I have like this large battery pack that will charge like my phone, you know, from zero mm-hmm. to full like five times. And so it, it's like you know, it's larger than the average one. They have no idea what it is. So that always gets me into trouble. So I started pulling it out in airports and that helps. But yeah, I think that they actually have limitations on the milliamp hours that a battery can have when flying. Well, I've never gotten in trouble for it. But yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of battery that they expect you put it to put in the backpack that I have something like that. And you just swap stuff off all day on your backpack. Then you plug it in when you get back to the hotel. That's pretty much what I do, right? Like, because when you're at a conference and your phone is like literally flipping back and forth from the not amazing conference Wi-Fi to the fact that you have like no signal, right? In most of the rooms in the conference center, like it just, it, it definitely drains it a lot faster. So I definitely have to charge a couple times in a day and it'll charge my laptop too. So it's yeah. a nice thing to have. That is one nice thing about the Apple Silicon chips is that they are so easy on the power that you can use those battery packs to charge them as well. You know, the Intel ones, it would just eat up the whole battery before you could even do much with it. That's actually another thing to keep in mind. 
you know, going back to how much stuff you're taking is that the more peripherals you plug into your computer, the faster it's going to suck the battery dry. But yeah, I just need to get a new computer. Is that what you're telling me, Dave? Do it. <laughs> but wait for the M1. M2 because what's that, Luke? I was going to say, yeah, the M1's really nice, but the M2 is coming out soon. You know, so on battery things too, I actually do have like, I think one more tip, which is uh, I started buying. So first of all, I actually do like a lot of stuff from Monoprice. I, I don't know that I love everything from them, but they do have like a lot of cool stuff. And like one of the things that I started buying for like trips and things is they have these basically like USB charging things or whatever that are also that also double as battery packs so i like to use those Mm -hmm. like you just charge your phone on it but it also charges the battery pack for during the day so as somebody who has an older intel macbook you know and has that power draw this kind of stuff is very useful so yeah i drive one of the intel antiques too an antique it's it's what two three years old anyway but yeah i haven't used one of the ones that act as a battery and a usb but yeah, I always have an extension cord, nice. a, pow- a power supply and or not a power supply, uh, an extension cord slash a power strip. And it's one of those chargers that has like five USB ports on it that you can plug into one plug. And that's always nice because then I can charge my stuff up. And if somebody else is using the, the plug at the airport, I can usually talk them into letting me plug my thing in and plugging their stuff into my stuff. Yep, that's true, too. Good, Just, call, good call on that. I'm not plugging my stuff into your stuff, Chuck. <laughs> oh, man, you make it sound so dirty. Anyway, does it, Does anyone have uh, any smart suitcases, like a smart luggage? No, I haven't. But tell me about it, Luke. So there are loads of signs up now. I just went through Dubai Airport and they had loads of new signs up. And one of the signs was, you, you must tell us if you have a smart suitcase. And what they mean is, a suitcase with a little kind of motor in it, like an electric scooter that you can ride on. And because these things have massive batteries in them, you also get kind of maybe a kind of little microcontroller and an LCD screen on it. So it can do other things too. But I just, you know, obviously that raises the possibility of maybe kind of reprogramming your suitcase. So I got quite excited about that, but I've never seen one in person. That's kind of interesting, though. I feel the thing that I feel like would be most interesting is I feel like the the suitcase kind of like Chuck's backpack, right? Like charging ports on it. I like the idea of having a screen, maybe. Then you're just sitting there in the airport Mm -hmm. with like a little mini TV or something. Yep. But no, I don't have one. Their main concern, of course, is the size of the lithium battery because it's, it's basically an e-scooter, right? That looks like a suitcase. So it, these mm-hmm. things could be quite hazardous. They have enormous batteries in them. Yeah. So just look at the milliamp hours and make sure that you know you're one not exceeding what the TSA will allow, but also that it's going to be sufficient for what you need. And be wary of some misprints. Uh, I was just looking up. On Walmart's website, they have a 900,000 milliamp hour battery pack. It's like the size of a cell phone for $25. I'm like, that would charge your Tesla. It's, um, it's either very impressive or full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, anything else that we want to talk through here before we wrap up and do picks? I'd just like to give a shout out for Pelican Cases. Many years ago, then I broke my car and I couldn't afford to buy a new one. So I was commuting on a motorbike and I was terrible at riding it. And I had my backpack with my laptop in it. So I bought this hard Pelican case to put my laptop in. And it was well worth the investment because I used to kind of fall off this motorcycle once every two days. And on one occasion, 
the laptop in the Pelican case became detached somehow from the back of the motorbike and went under a car behind me and oh, survived. Wow. So if you are like going on a, like a road trip on a bike or something and you need a case to put your laptop in, even though they're not really designed for laptops, you can cut out the foam so it's a snug fit. And they are, like I said, they pretty much car proof. Cool. That is quite impressive. Yep. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right. Well, I'm going to push this toward picks. Dave, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, sure. So the first pick, I will pick the portable screen that I mentioned earlier. It is the Asus Zen Screen LB14AC, and I'll post a link to that. And that's a that's the 1080p 60 hertz USB powered portable screen. So you don't have to have any external power to it except for the data cable that you're taking to it. It also serves as a uh, display port. So if you don't have any USB C's, you can plug a USB into it also, just a normal type A USB. And it has a display link adapter. So if you run it just over USB C, it'll be native. If you run it over USB, then it'll convert over to the display link. So you can use it either way. And the second pick is Meshalicious. It is a tiny form factor case that I absolutely love. I think it's made by a spinoff brand from Lianli, but all the sides to it are all meshed. And they're all kind of magnetically, or I don't even know if it's magnetically, but they're very easy to pull off and to work on. So I did a mini ITX build recently, and I absolutely love that case for it. And it actually fit a 320 millimeter graphics card in there. So it actually has quite a bit of room in there to do stuff. Awesome. John, what are your picks? All right. Well, Pertaining to our topic a little bit, I uh, definitely am going to recommend. I'll, I, I'm still finding the link or whatever, but I, I'm definitely recommending the uh, the whole battery pack charger combo thing or whatever because they're super awesome. So that's my first pick, and then my second pick is I'm gonna pick RailsConf. Um, so if you uh, kind of like Rails, uh, you know, and Ruby and things like that, uh, maybe you want to meet with some other people and uh, pick up a bunch of t-shirts and uh, stickers and other useless gadgets. Um, I got some tea as well this time. Yep. So RailsConf definitely has plenty of swag. And uh, for, for my part, like, I think it's a great way to like, kind of like energize me every year. So it gets me, it's an important part of my like personal energy and things like that. So RailsConf. And then last, not least, uh, I went to a talk first day. So that would be two days ago now. Um, so I went to a talk on Kubi, which is a new way of pushing your application to production. And I chatted with Cameron afterwards. And I'm kind of hoping that we'll see like a maybe like Kubi ship lane or I don't know. We'll, all right, we'll see. But I'm hoping to kind of collaborate over there. But in the meantime, like I think Kubi is definitely worth checking out. It's pretty cool. It operates somewhat in the same space as Shiplane does. And maybe maybe it's a better fit for you to get your application to production. But it's super cool. So those are my picks. Awesome. Luke, what are your picks? I really like the table view on GitHub issues, which I've just run across. I don't know how new it is, but I just like it. So I'm going to pick that. 
And my second pick, and I don't know if this has a Rails equivalent, but it's one of Jeremy Evans' Rhoda projects called Autoform. And what this does is give you a kind of web interface at a low level to all of your models. So instead of doing friends which you'd normally do from the console, you can actually click around. And the use case for this is when you've broken something horribly and you desperately need to fix it. And you can fix that from the Rails console, but sometimes, you know, uh, your colleagues can't or don't feel comfortable, you know, kind of delving around in the sudden death world of a production Rails console. So this is just a kind of friendlier way to hack stuff up on the back end. Uh, I'd be really interested to know if there is an equivalent for this for Rails, but I'm not aware of it. Cool. Well, I'm going to jump in here with uh, some board game picks and stuff like that. I'll start with the board game. There are, man, there are, mil- well, I won't say millions. I don't think there are millions of them, but there are probably hundreds of variants of a game called Unlock. And uh, Unlock is effectively, it's kind of like an escape room in a box. And so you get cards. And you start out looking at the cards and you find clues on the cards. The clues are usually numbers that correspond to other cards, right? And so you, you know, it's like, okay, I see a 72 and a 61 and, uh, you know, whatever. And so then you flip those cards over and then you figure out how those cards go together in order to unlock something new, right? So you add the numbers on the two cards together and it'll give you a new number that you can, you know, pull that that out and Anyway, it's it's really, really fun. You do need a smartphone to play it, right? So when you uh, punch in the number or there are cards that represent gadgets and the gadgets are in the phone app, just stuff like that. But it's it's way, way fun. And it's fun to play with, you know, four or six people. So I'm going to pick Unlock. And then I'm just going to jump in here. And I don't know if it's an anti-pick so much. It's just I'm going to vent a little bit about my current podcast provider and then explain what I'm doing different. So we currently host our podcasts on fireside.fm. Some of you old school guys might remember Dan Benjamin. He actually runs fireside.fm. Anyway, I got an email from them that basically said that JavaScript Jabber is so big that I have to pay extra for the bandwidth. And I love getting these surprise emails that basically say, you got to fix this in a week or we're going to turn you off. Instead of explaining to people when you sign up that hey, you know, this is a thing. And as you begin to approach it, that, you know, you might eventually have to upgrade your account. It's just it's just frustrating to me to get those. So I've been working on top end devs for a while now, you know, when I'm not working this client or running for school board or things like that. So I'm actually looking to move everything back onto top end devs, uh, just not onto WordPress. But yeah, if you're looking for a place to host a podcast, and it's not getting that level of traffic, it really does work really well. So I am going to shout out to them. And then I'm also going to just shout out about, yeah, Top End Devs and Rails Remote Conf and some of the other stuff that we're pulling together over at Top End Devs to help people level up. So if you're looking for that kind of opportunity to level up, then go check it out. We should have more information out about Top End or Rails Remote Conf here within the next week or so as we're recording this, which means that it should be there by the time you actually get this. And yeah, we're looking for authors. We're looking for hosts on some of the other shows. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, feel free to reach out. My email is chuck at topendevs.com. And I guess that's it. All right. Well, then we'll wrap up here. Thank you all for coming. And until next time, Max out. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.